Welcome to the Success is Subjective podcast series brought to you by ParentTrainers.com, presented by Lilly Consulting. I'm your host, Joanna Lilly. In today's episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Ryan Silberberg. Ryan started his life in the addiction field as a patient. As a distinguished alumnus of six different treatment centers, it's safe to say that Ryan does not have a one-and-done recovery story. Undeniably, part of Ryan's passion for his work stems from the reality that for the majority of his fight to find recovery, he was never afforded a personalized intervention experience customized to his specific needs. This resulted in participating time and again in treatment programs that were just not a good fit for him. Ryan believes that treatment is not a one-size-fits-all and that treatment professionals should work to fit the client, not the other way around. Since finding long-term recovery, Ryan has made helping others struggling with addiction and co-occurring mental health challenges his personal and professional passion. Ryan has worked at every level of the addiction continuum, from helping folks in the acute detox stage to supporting clients in finding appropriate primary care treatment and working as a recovery coach and residential manager in extended care and transitional living settings. Ryan truly has a depth of experience that's invaluable to every client and family he works with. It is no doubt that Ryan's personal journey, professional experience, addiction counselor training, and interventionist training make him well-qualified for his role as the Director of Admissions at Jay Walker Lodge. In his spare time, Ryan loves spending time with his wife, two daughters, and their dogs in the majestic Roaring Fork Valley. His hobbies include fly fishing, hiking, skiing, biking, and golfing. Now let's not wait any longer. Here's Ryan. All right. Well, welcome, Ryan. Thank you. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about where you grew up? Yeah, my name is Ryan Soberberg. I grew up in the South Bay area of Los Angeles in a place called Palos Verdes, um, which is um, a kind of a well-to-do neighborhood in the, like I said, in the South Bay of, of Los Angeles. Uh, both my parents, I grew up with married parents, um, both of them graduates of U- University of Southern California. Uh, my mom's a school teacher and my dad is an attorney. Um, so school was something that was always important to my, to my family. My, both my grandparents went to college. Um, you know, college is something that we've all done. Um, so went through elementary school pretty well without too much trouble. Um, started to get into some trouble in junior high and that's when I first started experimenting with marijuana and alcohol. I was suspended a couple times. Um, my parents uh, sent me to an all-boys Jesuit Catholic high school in uh, South Central Los Angeles called Loyola High School, um, which I did not want to go to. But looking back, it was probably one of the best experiences I've ever had in my life. I did really well in school, played both football and baseball, and finished high school with with a 3.8 GPA. Uh, I applied to 18 colleges and got into all 18. Um, Whoa. I ended up choosing, yeah. Uh, I ended up choosing University of Southern California to follow in my parents' footsteps, although my second choice was Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Uh, yeah, and I, I stayed close to home. You know, when I got to, when I got to college, uh, that's really kind of when the wheels started to fall off in my life. Um, you know, my, my substance use in high school was kind of, I, was, I called myself a weekend warrior. During the week, I, I was you know, in sports and in school, and I had to commute 45 minutes to high school every day. Uh, so there wasn't time, you know, for 
for the extracurriculars. Um, but come Friday night was when I, you know, I drank a lot and I drank basically through Sunday night, drank and smoked pot through Sunday night. But when I got to college and I was free, I started drinking every day. And, um, you know, that progressed into other substances, uh, you know, marijuana, cocaine, LSD, uh, some heroin. Um, I was able to get through four years of USC, um, did not graduate, but four years in, I had a close friend overdose Mm. um, and die. And the gig was kind of up. So uh, our family started to kind of figure out what we were doing. And uh, and I asked for help because I knew I was in trouble. Um, By that point in time, I was using IV uh, cocaine and heroin. And yeah, I mean, that was, I was, you know, I had gotten a DUI. There was a, there was a couple things in there, but really like I, I knew that's not where I wanted to be in my life. And I knew that I couldn't stop on my own and I needed help. My parents agreed to get me help. Um, we went to a place called Progress Valley in Phoenix. that's no longer around, but we had a family friend um, that, that went there who was actually a tech at the time at that treatment center. And you know, Google wasn't really a thing at that point. Um, <laughs> there wasn't there wasn't a ton of information about residential treatment and how to and how to get get somebody there. So, so I went there. Uh, I completed ninety days. Went into sober living and, and relapsed pretty quickly after that on crack cocaine, which I bought you know right there at the treatment center, basically in the front. It was not in it was in a not so good neighborhood. I went back to Progress Valley and completed another ninety days um, before relapsing right thereafter and went on about a three-week uh, crack cocaine bender. Uh, my dad found me in a, in a motel via private investigator. He brought me back to, to Newport Beach, California. By that time, my family had moved down to Newport Beach. So I, I came back to Newport Beach, and then the next day I was on a plane to Minnesota. I went to Hazelden Center City, um, made it there about seven days before I left uh, my family knew enough at that point to hold some boundaries on, you know, we're willing to support you in a life of recovery, but that's about it. You've proven that you can't use anything. Um, yeah. um, and so I was, I was still 21 years old at that time. And so Hazel didn't agree to take me back, but they put me at the Hazel center for youth and family in Plymouth. So I did four months there. Uh, I went to fellowship club in St. Paul where I did four months. And then I went back to Augsburg College, where I went to school, was able to walk at graduation and finished. And then I stayed in the Twin Cities area and worked um, for Best Buy uh, as a marketer uh, in their marketing department. I put together four and a half years of sobriety and was out at a work dinner one night when I would normally push, you know, the wine glass to the side or have the waiter take it. One night I didn't. They poured wine. There was a toast. I, I toasted and I took a sip. Uh, if you had asked me about 20 minutes before that, if I was going to have a drink that night, I would have told you no, and, and it would have been an honest answer. I didn't drink the rest of that glass of wine, um, but I started with that kind of mental obsession around, oh my God, I just took a drink after four and a half years. Um, and about three weeks later, uh, I started drinking. Um, and then six months later, I was back in treatment at the retreat in, in Wyzetta, Minnesota, uh, because of crack cocaine use again. And then... I left the retreat. Uh, I had a, a six-year girlfriend that I went to the retreat for the first time. She said she'd take me back. I got home. I started drinking and smoking crack again. She threw me out for good. Um, I went back to the retreat uh, and then uh, went through a series of sober living houses in in, uh, in Minnesota, St. Paul Sober Living and a couple other ones. I can't remember their names, but 
Yeah, at 26 years old, I was at bottom again, or what I thought was my bottom. And uh, I sold the rest of my possessions for a plane ticket home to Newport Beach at 26. Uh, showed up on my mom's doorstep and said, hey, I'm home. And she said, oh, no, you're not. Um, so I went to this uh, little state-funded detox um, where I put together about 30 days. Um, she let me move back in. During that 30 days, I got myself into culinary school. Some cooking is something that I've always loved and and wanted to pursue. So uh, I went to culinary school in, in Pasadena and Hollywood at Le Cordon Bleu and started working in the restaurant industry in LA for the next uh, eight years where uh, I found crystal meth and vodka. And by the end of that, I was intervened on by my family at 34 years old. And I was an IV crystal meth addict and uh, drinking a fifth to a handle of vodka a day, every day, homeless uh, with, with nothing. Um, and I was sent to uh, where I currently work at Jay Walker Lodge in, in Carbondale for my seventh inpatient treatment. I did not want to go. I couldn't believe that they were considering sending me back to treatment again. It never worked before. So why would it work this time? Right. Uh, and, um, you know, really what, what I think the difference was here was that for the first time recovery became something that was enjoyable versus something that I had to do. And, you know, Jay Walker is a program that one of the, the, the focuses is kind of outdoor recreation. So things that I grew up doing, like fly fishing, river rafting, rock climbing, skiing and snowboarding, you know, were, were things that I kind of had lost through my addiction. And, and I finally was able to put them back in my life and, and then do recovery on with that, you know, uh, simultaneously. And it, it's stuck this time. I'm, I'm about to celebrate, uh, well, I guess in June, I'll celebrate eight years of sobriety. So that's awesome. Something you didn't think that was possible, right? That's what I'm hearing you say. Like, why am I going back to treatment? Like, it didn't yeah. work before. I don't see myself. Well, my life today is, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad I didn't get to plan this. I mean, I, I got married five years ago. I have a three-year-old. I have a second child on the way. Nothing I ever wanted. Like, I, I didn't know what I wanted. Mm. I didn't know, um, you know, what or how to do anything, really. Um, but yeah, I've, I, I would never have written this life for myself and, and I, I'm, gl- I'm glad I didn't because it's, um, it's, it's a life that I never thought possible and can't wait to see what comes next. <laughs> well, so there's so many things that I want to ask. Well, one of which I feel like before we kind of move on from talking about Jay Walker and how that was like the, the last stop for you. Um, can you just share with anybody that's listening, what is your current role at Jay Walker right now? Yeah, I'm the director of admissions uh, and marketing, but I don't, I don't put that in my title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I handle 50% of the outreach and, and marketing for Jay Walker and, and all of the admissions. So um, we, have a, we have a team that we work with with admissions too, but um, our focus and my kind of my goal really is to hopefully help families you know, not have to go through what my family went through or, and not have anybody have to go through um, what I went through. I mean, I went to some really good treatment centers, but I don't know if they were the right treatment center f- for me at that time. And right. you know, whether um, you're a fit for jaywalker or not, you're going to get my full undivided attention. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to help you find a treatment center that does work for, for you, uh, you know, uh, and, and it's a, I, what I think is an appropriate fit for your, for your loved one. Right. Well, now, I mean, right in 2020, Google tends to be like 
that resource for families. And, you know, unlike back in the day where it was like you, you could go on Google and and literally scroll through the 200 results for whatever it was that you were researching. Now it's like, now there's like 200,000 pages and it's It's just so overwhelming. And it's just like, um, and unfortunately there's just a really, there's a ton of really unethical, not so good places out there that that can spend a ton of money you know and and increase their seo and all that stuff so they're they're on the first page yep 100 percent. and so no for joke. anybody listening i'm totally gonna i i wrote an article on this exact topic so i'll make sure it's linked in the notes yeah so ryan if you're okay with this too i'm gonna i'm gonna put in a link on jay walker lodge for anybody yeah. so they can click on it and contact you directly yeah, and they can call us anytime, and we're, we we don't care whether you are a fit for Jaywalk or not. You're going to get as much time or probably more time uh, with us than than somebody who's coming here. Um, you know, so that we we uh, we make sure that you know every time we get off the phone that the families feel more comfortable and have a better idea and a kind of a plan going forward. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, so then hearing about you know like you didn't think that this was the life you know, you were going to have all the things that have kind of come together, the family, the job, the location. So in kind of transitioning or weaving the, this question into the title of this podcast series, which we're calling success is subjective. Uh-huh. Just speak to that. Do you see yourself as successful and then kind of elaborate on that? Yeah, I do. I mean, I- my definition of success has changed over the years. You know, I have a, an ultra successful father and, um, you know, in, in a field that I have no interest in. Um, so, you know, for, for a long time, I thought like I had to live up to, you know, my parents' expectations. And I told myself a story, you know, that like, if I wasn't going to be a lawyer or I wasn't going to make a ton of money that like, uh, they would never be proud of me. And that, that was part of the thing that fueled my addiction. Um, you know, so so yeah, my, my, my definition of success has changed quite a bit. You know, now it's more like, do I love to go to work and do I love to go home? Um, and if I can answer yes to both of those questions and, you know, then I feel like my life is success. I'm, I'm happy. Um, you know, there, there are, there are lots of things that like I would like to, um, to do, you know, I finished at Oxford college and applied to graduate school, you know, about six years later and found out that I was, um, they're going to hold my transcripts because of uh, a transfer credit that wasn't a, that didn't get approved. And so, for the last <laughs> like three, four years, I've I've put that priority on the back burner. But I would like to have a degree, and I would like to go to graduate school and get a master's in you know either uh, clinical social work or psychology or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, my my only goal today is to really to be a, a, an amazing resource for families in need. Um, and also to be, and this is the top priority is to be an amazing father and husband and give my kids the life they deserve. So, and I get to do it in an awesome place called Carbondale, Colorado, which is a lot <laughs> different from Los Angeles. And, um, and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, no, that's, I think that, and that's, what's important for a lot of families that are listening to this or even young people, you got to be open to the possibilities and whatever life you think that is not, um, you know, not in the cards for you anymore because of the decisions that you made. The reality is it totally can be. And that like almost the, I feel like the acceptance of that idea is the epitome of, you know, or the idea of 
potential success. Because if you're open to that, like there's so much change that's still possible. Well, for sure. It's life on life's terms and, and playing the, the, the I love that. And like, you know, and, and I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I, and I know that I, if I don't take care of what I needed to do today, tomorrow doesn't really matter. You know? Right. So it's like, like I used to think I had to have plans for like for the rest of my life. And like, right. I think like, I have two stepsisters that just finished college, one of them at UVA, one of them at University of Michigan. They're, they're way smarter than I am, but uh, <laughs> you know, like they don't know what they want to do. And like, I was talking to them and it's like, you know what? Like, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. Like, you don't have to know. Like, exactly. Love and go for it. And if it doesn't work out, then find something else. Like, you know, I feel like a lot of like people, especially young people get, get hung up on like, I'm going to college to major in, in, you know, pre-med and it's like, but I hate science, <laughs> you know, like, and so, you know, cause your dad's a doctor or mom's a doctor, you know, and it's like, we don't, we don't have to have plans. We got to figure out what works for us and, and how do we move forward to make ourselves happy? Cause I think, you know, as a parent and, and I understand this now more than I ever did is like, the only thing I care about is that they're happy, you know? And, and, I, and my dad, yeah. and mom, same thing to me. And it's like, we don't care if you, if you want to be a fly fishing guide, like go do it just be happy. It's your life, you know? So it's, uh, I mean, that's, that's, you know, what I'm, what I'm carrying forward with, with my kids. It's like, let's find something that, that you want to do and it makes you happy and we'll find a way to make it work. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, so then perfect segue into kind of the closing question that all of our guests on this podcast have been answering, which is, you know, if you could share one thing and, and this could be, you know, just generically like any college age student or young adult, or even, you know, somebody in their mid thirties that feels like they're in a career path, but you know, life on the fast lane, what advice would you give to that person who is struggling right now? Yeah, I think that there's a way out and, and you don't have to do it alone. Like, uh, I haven't done any of this alone. You know, I mean, like how I got into this industry was I took a, when I was in our solutions program, I took a, a personality style test called the Berkman. Um, and it would said I would, you know, make a good police officer uh, or a good, you know, social worker, you know, in this kind of industry. And so that stuff had never crossed my mind. So there are a lot of resources out there for, to help you. And, um, and you don't have to stay stuck. All you have to do is talk about it and, and find the resources necessary to, to move forward. And, you know, they're out there. Um, just ask for help. That's awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Thanks for being on this show. Thanks, Joanna. Good to talk to you. We'll see you soon. I hope. for this week's success is subjective episode stay tuned for our next episode where you can bet it'll be another amazing human sharing their very personal story with the world you can follow me joanna on instagram at lily consulting and on facebook at lily consulting llc most importantly though check out the resources link on my website at lilyconsulting.com and that's l-i-l-l-e-y consulting.com or you can just search on google for lily consulting you can also download and subscribe to listen to the success is subjective interviews on any popular podcast app such as apple podcasts google podcasts iHeartRadio, soundcloud spotify stitcher and TuneIn radio make sure you check out the show notes where you'll find 
contact information, website details, links to articles, and all social media for our guest. Once again, thank you to parenttrainers.com for sponsoring this podcast series. And thank you, our listener, for tuning in. And remember, there is no single path through life. Success is what you make it.